So, first things first, gentlemen, how are you? Good, a little jet lag, but, yeah. but good. <laughs> it's good to hear. So, where I want to start with is, uh, I read somewhere, I can't remember if this was on Facebook or a Twitter post, or uh, you wrote, beginning an album is always a time of uh, many unknowns and seemingly endless, endless possibilities. Mm -hmm. So where do you start when, especially for this project, because you lost a couple of, uh, well, one uh, band member and mm. the dynamics change. So where do you start? Well, it always starts and ends with the songs. And, okay. you know, we've, we've always been the kind of band that we don't go into the studio until we have what we feel are... Let's start over here. <laughs> yeah. Sorry about that. That's all right. No, no worries. worries. I'm just going to start uh, mm -hmm. from yep. the beginning, just yeah, sure, so sure. I don't have to edit it out. Yeah, sure. Um, so, for, first things first, guys, how are you? We're good. We're good? Yeah, yeah. really good. That's good to hear. So, I read, I think it was a bio or something, but you wrote, beginning an album is always a time of many unknowns and seemingly endless possibilities. So, where do you start with a record? Well, it always, you know, the records, we always start a record when we feel we have enough songs for an album mm -hmm. um, and you know going, going into this album you know we had I think we had more songs that we felt were album worthy than we did on the previous couple records mm -hmm. um, but you know there is a period of discovery in making the record where sometimes the songs you thought were going to work don't work sometimes songs surprise you that you know, you kind of had lower on the list and then something happens in the studio and they kind of take on a life of their own. So, yeah. you, know, you know, more times than not, the songs you think are going to work tend to work. Okay. But it's always exciting to see which songs kind of, you know, kind of poke their heads up and, and become, uh, they kind of blossom in the studio, mm -hmm. whereas in the demo form there was something missing. Yeah. You say there were, this time around, more album-worthy uh, songs. So, so do you know why? How come? Well... <coughs> I feel, I feel that when Chris left the band, mm. uh, I realized how much I would lean on him to kind of finish some of the songs. Mm. And, uh, and, you know, he's a, a brilliant, brilliant guy. And, you know, he, you know I, the reason a lot of the, the records he worked on uh, sound the way they do is because of the skill set that he brought. Mm. And so for me, I, as the songwriter, I wanted to make sure that I was doing more work than I had done before because I recognized that this was going to be a really pivotal album for us. Like, mm -hmm. this was going to be an album that was in some ways going to determine what the future of the band was going to be. Not only because we have two new members, and we're, uh, but, you know, because, you know, because the, the dynamic has shifted in the group. So I wanted to make sure that I was doing, that, that I was really um, uh, vigilant in the work that I was doing on the front end so that when we got into the studio we weren't relying on well you know Nick will, f Nick will finish this yeah. or Dave, Dave or Zach will have an idea well, well this will get done yeah. so and I feel in some ways I did almost too much work on the songs because I in some ways I didn't leave a lot of room yeah. for these guys to, <laughs> to, to, to but no I mean you did but it, I mean we also did a lot of pre-production we did more pre-production for this record than we'd had in our previous two albums mm -hmm. normally in the past we would take these long breaks 
And the next time we would really get into making a record was when we were right at the start in the studio process. Mm -hmm. And we did two separate sessions before we started for real, just on our own. In uh, Zach had a studio for a while in Los Angeles that we spent some time in. We did some uh, another week or so in Seattle, and we were able to like you know on on the songs that weren't quite finished all the way, we were able to kind of think about them. And and actually, you know, to speak to Ben's sort of first point, it was nice to go through a lot of the songs that we were again thinking like this is going to be on the record we would go through the pre-production phase only to find out at the end of it, we're like, well, maybe not, you know? And that, that helped us kind of get some sense of dimension from this <coughs> really prolific pile of songs that Ben had turned in. I mean, there was more, like he said, I mean, there's more material for us to go through at the beginning of this album than pretty much any other album that we've done. So I think that was really necessary. I think we all recognized kind of early on that like, it's gonna be important to really do the work before we actually start making the record. And even then, once you get into making the record, there's still you know, an infinite amount of things that happen, so. Yeah, because volume yeah. doesn't equate to quality right. all the time. <laughs> yeah, right. You know, having, you know, to yeah. say that I, I could say I wrote 100 songs for this record, but there's only 10 songs on the record for a reason. Yeah, right. you yeah. Know. yeah, yeah. But this, 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 uh planning more than, than you ever did before, and kind of the writing a hundred songs. Was that a reaction, at the, uh, like you say, on the changing dynamics and, and be, this being a pivotal moment? Was it kind of a thought of, okay, we have to make, definitely make sure we're gonna bring out the best album we can? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, yeah. you know, every album that we've, we've made, we're, we're, tr we're making the best record we can with what we have in front of us at the time. Mm -hmm. But I think that in the past there was Maybe a, maybe a slightly kind of arrogant, um, you know, um, assumption that like, well, look, if this record isn't the best record we ever make, we'll still make more records. And the four of us, we've done this before, you know, not everyone's going to be the best record, you know, but, you know, having a career as long as we've had, you know, there, there, are, there are highs and lows. It's just, right. you know, yeah. any artist who's been doing it as long as we have, that's how it goes. But I think that this, I, I think we all realized that this record was a really, this is a pivotal moment for us. This record was going to determine whether or not this band had a future or not. Because, yeah. mm. you know, we had been playing with Dave and Zach for two years, three years before yeah, three. we were in, three yeah. years when we were in the studio right. with them. And, you know, we enjoyed their company very much. They're amazing players. Um, we were really excited about going in the studio with them. But there was a little part of me. You know, and I, I don't see this isn't a slight to their abilities. There was a little part of me that was like, man, I really hope this works. Same. Because yeah. it is so different. Yeah. Hanging out in Amsterdam, you know, going to dinner and playing shows and, you know, ha joking backstage, that is a whole nother animal from being in a studio and telling somebody that their idea isn't good. Yeah. You know, or telling, you know what I mean? Or yeah. somebody telling me, like, that lyric's not good. Yeah. You know, and, and, and so I, I was. I was confident, but there was a part of me that was a little nervous, and I don't, I, I don't see how anyone could go into, into this arrangement without yeah. feeling a little bit of self-doubt. Yeah. You know? Was there a turning point then, where where the confidence kind of uh, <coughs> came and you thought, oh, okay, this is going to work now? I, I, I can see it. Yeah, I, I mean, I, honestly, I think within the first week, I, and I, I give a lot of the credit. Uh, of that feeling for me to Rich Costi, our producer, mm. because he made Kintsugi with us. He understood where we were at as a four-piece then, and now with you know new additions of Zach and Dave, I feel like he was in a kind of a unique position, objectively, to weigh out 
you know, what was happening with this band and this transition and whether, and, and, and kind of, I, I sort of trusted him in those moments when we were like, how's this working out to say, this, this is right on the money, you guys sound great. Or, Which is part of the reason we wanted to work with him again, was like, yeah, right. he's exactly. the constant. Yeah. He will be able to tell the three exactly. of us, Nick and Jason and I, yeah. dude, it's not working. Yeah, exactly. You know, and he, he has that objectivity that we wouldn't have. Exactly, so, right. yeah, because when we were just enthusiastic, as you would be, just optimistic, like, this is gonna be great, you know, trying to keep, trying to keep the spirits high and morale high. <laughs> but, you know, I did look to him at, any, at a lot of points in the beginning to see, like, is this really gonna happen? And, you know, we had a lot of side conversations with him along the way, and again, I give a lot of credit to him, kind of to sort of shepherd us through this and and kind of reassure us in those times when we were doubting ourselves, encourage us, you know, when we weren't sure about you know what direction to go, and allow us to kind of push back. And in some ways, it was far more of a dynamic recording situation than it was making Kintsugi. We were, I mean, obviously, a lot of the kind of you know. I don't know, it wasn't like there was a dramatic thing happening with Chris, but a lot of that had cleared away. And, you know, just in the new studio that Rich had opened, the, the, the way in which we tracked was, you know, there were five of us kind of in one small room. There was, you know, there, there wasn't really a lot of place for us to go and escape and kind of detach from the process. And, you know, I think we kind of teased ourselves, you know, along the way. We thought, oh, you know, when it's not my turn to be recording, I'll, I'll go do something else in town. But pretty quickly you realize, like, I just wanted to be in this room with these people while these decisions were being made. And that, to me, felt, there was just, there was so much more of a, of a dialogue happening. Yeah, not, a, not out of distrust, but just yeah. out of ownership over the process. Yeah, exactly. Like, yeah, I just want to be here because I want to, yeah. I don't want to, like, leave and come back and have there be, like, 17 guitar parts and be like, oh, <laughs> yeah. like, oh, I wasn't here for this. Like, I want to be present <laughs> yeah. for it because yeah. it's exciting. Yeah, you know? and that's a little bit different for us than it was in the last couple albums, for sure. Yeah, in that sense, did you discover something maybe about yourselves or, or about what the band is <laughs> going through this process? You, you know, I this this record was the most enjoyable and inspiring record for us to make since Transatlanticism. Yes, and um, we when we were making the record, we would say a version of that to each other when we were walking home from the studio, and we were always really quick to kind of make sure we 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 recognized that just because we're having fun doesn't make it good, yeah. you know? Yeah. Like just because you're having fun at something doesn't mean what you're doing is good. Yeah. So we still need to be very kind of, we need to keep our eyes on it and be mm. brutally kind of honest with what's working, what's not yeah. working. But that being said, you know, having made nine albums with this band, you know, I've made other albums yeah. in other places and it's like the records that are the most enjoyable to make, the most inspiring records to make, tend to be the records that are the better albums. Mm -hmm. You know, there are, you know, I don't, there isn't, as I look through our catalog, there isn't a record that people love that we hated making. Mm -hmm. yeah. Does that make sense? Sure. So, um, you know, time will tell if where this record, if this record confirms or is the first outlier in that, <laughs> that position. But I, but you know, I yeah. don't know. I just like, I just, I just feel that, you know, there, there was a special kind of, there was a there, there was just it was an enjoyable record to make yeah. and um, and I, I I wouldn't go so far as say you can hear that in the music but it definitely fe the record feels more complete and more inspired to me than maybe some of the, some of the other albums we've made. Mm -hmm. If we move to the songwriting then uh, and I believe geography is is, is some some uh, kind of thing on this album. 
and uh, ten years ago you went to Big Sur, I believe, to to go right. So, so did you go to a specific place to try and kind of uh, <coughs> work out a couple of songs? Uh, <clears throat> you know, I I like I've always liked the romance of secluding myself mm -hmm. in some kind of in a location like Big Sur or uh, in Mazama, Washington. Uh, Washington State, where I lived, which is in the east side of the state, it's really pastoral and beautiful. And I, I did a couple of sessions over there, but I think I do my best work when I'm just at home in Seattle, because you know I, you know, my wife always says that I'm a I'm a real extrovert, but at the same time, I, I like I value my time alone, whether it's like long going on long runs or being in the studio for hours at a, at a time by myself working. I like the juxtaposition of having the security of home and the security of my friends and my social circles and the things I like to do in Seattle, but also the isolation that I feel during the day, whether it's running or going to the studio and working. Mm -hmm. So I feel like I've, I do my best work when I'm just at home in Seattle, and and I don't I don't require I don't I'm not the kind of person who needs who is so distracted that I just need to get away mm. and go hole up in a cabin for a month and write the record. Like I'm perfectly capable of working. At home, but the interesting thing then about and you mentioned Seattle, uh, and if we go into gold rushes, mm -hmm. is that the environment around you is also changing, and, and you yeah. yourself are changing. So how does that affect kind of the, the writing and, and uh, also what you as a band kind of come up with and, and want to do? Well, I think you know we're you know Jason and Nick and I are in our early forties, and we're all really trying to avoid becoming the kind of people who talk about how it was better in the in the in the old days because yeah. it, nece it wasn't necessarily better in the old days it was just we were just younger in the old days <laughs> and everything is new and exciting when you're 21 uh, you know so I, I definitely don't I, you know so I, it's not so much that I think that uh, I, I guess what I've noticed as I've gotten older is that you know living in a city that is constantly changing all cities are in a constant state of flux, right. but Seattle is changing at an unbelievably rapid rate due to the rise of, you know, Amazon as and all the other tech companies that have moved in, to, you know, in you know to kind of creating this new tech tech world in Seattle. And you know, it's it's not it's not the tech workers aren't bad people. It's like this isn't you know these aren't like our corporate overlords or anything like that. But the the effect in the city has been very palpable and very rapid, mm -hmm. and and it has accelerated. Uh, the the changes in the in the geography of the city, mm. and you know I I think this just happens to everybody as they get older. But you walk down the street, and you'll think like, oh, that was that bar where like Nick and I used to go, and we were t we mm. talked about we were recording the second record. We'd go in there and we have a beer after oh. the studio, and like now oh now it's a wine bar, yeah. you know. And that was our rehearsal space. That now was our rehearsal space. Now, now it's condos. Now it's condos. <laughs> yeah, you know. Yeah. And you know it's not so much that. You, you know, and I think that the line in the song that to me is the important line is in the third verse when it's like, I've ascribed these monuments a false sense of permanence. Like, this is something that I did. This wasn't done to me. You know, I, I didn't, you know, I'm not a victim. I'm, 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 a, I'm a victim of my own assumptions. Mm -hmm. um, and, and, uh, and so, I, I, you know, to me that song means a lot to me. And, and you know, as it has gotten out in the world, um, the responses that mean the most to me are people, other people in Seattle, because I've had friends text me, you know, people on social media be like, I live in Seattle and I'm living this every day and this means a lot to me because, like, this is my experience too. Right. Um, so 
I want. I think this is a fairly universal sentiment. Sure. But you know, I wanted to make sure that people know, like, this is from my neighborhood. This is from my city. You know, mm -hmm. this is what this is. This is my experience in this in this place. And um, so far, the you know the response, especially from Seattleites that are friends of ours, is like, whoa, I'm I'm living that too. So that, and I think that when you when you share a sentiment through a piece of art, you feel a little bit less alone in your own feelings about that mm -hmm. thing. And you know, I don't say that to be self-aggrandizing, but it's just true, you know. Sure. And the, well, I, th I think change is, is kind of a, an inevitable part, inevitable part of life. And uh, is it fair to say that there's more about change on the album? There, there's, um, well, songs like You Moved Away, and, and mm -hmm. so, so there's always these changing dynamics and changing. So, so how, do you know how come that was on your mind so much? Well, was it because of Seattle changing? I think it's Seattle changing. I think it's kind of moving into middle age. I think it's, uh, you know, the lineup changing. Lineup changing. Yeah, I mean, there's been just yeah. a lot of uh, there's just a lot of things that have shifted in in my positive changes, like you know, getting married and like having a new a, a wonderful life with this person that I care so deeply about, mm. you know. Um, f but also family, you know, parents getting older, mm -hmm. you know. Like positive people having babies, like positive things, like yeah. this. This is all you know. These are all kind of. This is just life. This is just. This is just existing in the world. But I think, I think when you're 25, you don't. You have no reason to think about these things mm. because your life is still. You're still. You know. It's still opening up in front of you in a way that it's not really doing in your 40s. Um, and that's not to say that life isn't always a fascinating. Mm. And you know, a fascinating experience where you know of intellectual curiosity and learning and mm -hmm. and reflection. But I think I think that there's just more of I think there's just there's more looking back as I get older than there is looking forwards. Mm. I'm still looking forwards, but there is but yeah. it's but the I can see I can feel the shift starting to kind of happen. Right. Whereas like I'm being in the middle of your life, you're both looking forward and backwards in a way that you're not necessarily doing when you're 25. Right. Well, that makes a lot of sense. Yeah, actually. yeah. Um, but that, that's an interesting point then, because I, I can assume, and you mentioned this being a very pivotal album, that if you you kind of look back at, at previous albums, and uh, as you say, some some are better than others. But when you go into a record like this, and you know that people, uh, audiences have their opinions as well, and then mm -hmm. they they go up and down with the albums as well, is that still a factor, or have you made so many albums that it doesn't kind of bother you anymore? You know, if somebody says something really terrible, that bothers me because you know I'm a human being with feelings. But at the same time, you know, every record we've made, we put everything we possibly could in that moment into it, yeah. and sometimes it wasn't enough. Yeah. Um, but you know, I think if you look at any career artist, you know, take Neil Young for example. Mm -hmm. Like, I mean, look at Neil Young's career from the '60s until now, right. and you know, there or Lou Reed. Like, there are periods. Yeah. Of records where people were like, "Oh God," <laughs> and then and then there's a Harvest Moon, you know. Then there's a New York, you know. Then there's a record that just like makes everybody remember why they love that artist so much. Yeah. And I think that's you know we're not we're on even not even remotely on that level, but I think that that that's that is somewhat in play for us. That's that kind of thing. I don't know if you want to speak yeah. I mean, I was gonna say I think musicians in some ways are either it is a bit of a double-edged sword, but. I mean, we get to make something like an album, and then we spend 18 months standing in front of the people that are listening to it and seeing their reactions to us playing songs. And so 
we get to learn in real time and over time what it, what worked and what didn't work. Yeah. Um, and we carry those lessons forward. Um, so, so every album that you start, like, you know, I, I wouldn't say that we pay attention, like, oh, we care about what you know everyone's opinions, but it's it gets drilled into your head. I mean, you under I know what songs were you know what really connected with you know, an audience, what songs left people scratching their heads. And, you know, whether or not that has any influence specifically on what you're doing, it still cumulatively carries forward. And I think you're in, you know, it's, it's not quite like where you, you know, you know, maybe you're a painter or a filmmaker or something, being, you know, standing on a stage in front of the people that you're making your art for and seeing their reaction right back to you night after night after night after night is... A unique thing, I think, to performing, you know, much like I guess theater or something like that. And mm-hmm. you, as a you know, as a player, as a band member, and all of that, you, <coughs> you you learn a lot of those lessons. And you know, certainly after 20 years of doing it with Ben, I think those things kind of, you know, I don't, I don't, I, I, like I said, I don't think it really has a, much of an impact on the actual songwriting, but it does have a unique sort of feeling over time of oh yeah, we're good at this, or I remember like this not working so much, and I think those things subtly change and, and shift. So Yeah, and as long as, as long as the tempos don't start sinking into <laughs> yeah. mid-tempo acoustic <laughs> yeah. songs and yeah. we get too fat and out of shape to play our own songs, <laughs> so, like, we'll do this forever. Yeah, you know? exactly, exactly right. <laughs> That's quite an interesting point because I, I listened to the record, and, and it is quite... Uh, I don't want to say fast, but there's a lot of sounds. It's quite eclectic. Uh, mm-hmm. the, the tempo is good. So, so well, you say it's not necessarily a conscious effort, but the, how come it, it became as eclectic as it as, as it did? Well, I think we wanted to. We wanted to. I think it, as, as to Nick's point about look, thinking back on older records that we enjoyed making, but that were, you know, not popular live. Mm-hmm. I think we realized, like, look, we we're gonna we want to go out and play these songs and have people react to them. Right. And take Kintsugi, like, there's three or four songs on Kintsugi that we play, and people just you can see the excitement, and people are getting excited, mm-hmm. and that feels good. That feels mm-hmm. good to have people reacting to what at the time was a new song, 16 years into this band's existence. Right. Right. But if you take the record before that, uh, Codes and Keys, there's some songs in there I really enjoy, but they were, for a number of reasons, they were the kind of songs people were just like, yeah, I'm putting up with this until you get to the next song. <laughs> and and that's an, that was a lesson that I, I think we all took to heart with those two albums. Like, right. I want, if we're going to be making new music 20 years into this band, I want it to be music that sits sits next to the older music in a way that makes people not just tolerate it. Right. You know, And some people only want to hear the old songs, and that makes sense, and I understand that. But if you're going to put out a new record... I think the rules moving forward are only make records when you really have something to say and you feel like the, the, the quality is there. And then secondly, make sure that make sure the energy is there. You yeah. know, I mean, I, I just don't want to be 45 and making like mid-tempo ballad records with acoustic guitars. Like, it's just right. boring, you know. Yeah. And, and, and I think I, if there's one thing about this record that I'm really proud of, there are many things, but one thing I'm really proud of is I do feel this record is a fairly good representation of us being aware of what we're good at, the kind of guitar work and lyrics and stuff that I think people recognize mm-hmm. us for, but also some some new kind of tones and presentations that I think people are are somewhat polarizing. I think Gold Rush is 
really proud of the song, but I think it's fair, so far like a, you know, a little polarizing. People mm. are a little uncomfortable with it because it doesn't sound exactly what they thought it was going to sound like. Right. But I think when they get into the album, if, you know, if they're not so turned off by Gold Rush, yeah. you know, I think they'll find some very comforting and familiar things in the album as well. Mm. Yeah. Okay, I have one last question. Mm. Uh, what was one life-changing moment, maybe for you personally or uh, for you as a band? <laughs> yeah. I think, you know, we, years ago, we played, uh, we were asked by Neil Young to play the Bridge School Benefit, yeah. uh, and this was 2008, I believe, 2006. Six. And we were, at the time, we were doing a cover of Graham Nash's Military Madness, which is one of my, I love Graham Nash's solo stuff, and I love mm -hmm. that record in particular. And uh, we played it the first night, and Neil was like, hey, man, like, that was pretty cool. Like, you know, I really like you. That's, I love that song. And he, I was like, and we were like, yeah, you want to play with us tonight? Like, I, I don't know how it came out of our mouths. Like, yeah, you want to play? And he's like, just about like that. Yeah, yeah. And he was like, yeah, that sounds good. So we ended up like doing this jam of Military Madness, and it was like, I'm on piano, and, you know, the song's kind of in the jam phase, and David Rawlings and Gillian Welch are singing backups, and like, Neil Young is looking at me, just like stomping at me, playing acoustic guitar. And it was terrifying. <laughs> but it was one of those moments where you're like, what is my life? What is our life as a yeah. band that this is, where this we're is at right happening now. right now? Yeah. We don't deserve this, but it is happening. Yeah. <laughs> All right, guys. Thank you very much for your time. Of course, Thank yeah. You. Are those Sonic stocks you're wearing?